Chapter 54 The Song of the Ichabog The Ichabog had just drawn breath with its usual sound of an inflating bagpipe when Daisy said, What language do you sing in, Ichabog? The Ichabog looked down at her, startled to find Daisy so close. At first, Daisy thought it wasn't going to answer, but at last it said in its slow, deep voice, Icarish. And what's the song about? It's the story of Ichabogs, and of your kind too. You mean people? asked Daisy. People, yes, said the Ichabog. The two stories are one story because people were bonded out of Ichabogs. It drew its breath to sing again, but Daisy asked, What does bonded mean? Is it the same as born? No, said the Ichabog, looking down at her. Bonded is very different from being born. It's how new Ichabogs come to be. Daisy wanted to be polite, seeing how enormous the Ichabog was, so she said cautiously, That does sound a bit like being born. Well, it isn't, said the Ichabog in its deep voice. Born and bonded are very different things. When babies are bonded, we who have bonded them die. Always, asked Daisy, noticing how the Ichabog absent-mindedly rubbed its tummy as it spoke. Always, said the Ichabog, that is the way of the Ichabog. To live with your children is one of the strangenesses of people. But that's so sad, said Daisy, to die when your children are born. It isn't sad at all, said the Ichabog. The bonding is a glorious thing. Our whole lives lead up to the bonding. What we're doing and what we're feeling when our babies are bonded gives them their natures. It's very important to have a good bonding. I don't understand, said Daisy. If I die sad and hopeless, explained the Ichabog, my babies won't survive. I've watched my fellow Ichabogs die in despair, one by one, and their babies survived them only by seconds. An Ichabog can't live without hope. I'm the last Ichabog left, and my bonding will be the most important bonding in history. Because if my bonding goes well, our species will survive. And if not, Ichabogs will be gone forever. All our troubles began from a bad bonding, you know. Is that what your song's about? asked Daisy. The bad bonding? 
The Ichabog nodded, its eyes fixed on the darkening snowy marsh. Then it took yet another deep bagpipe breath and began to sing. And this time it sang in words that the humans could understand. At the dawn of time, when only Ichabogs existed, Stony man was not created with his cold, flint-hearted ways. Then the world in its perfection was like heaven's bright reflection. No one hunted us or harmed us in those lost, beloved days. O oh, Ichabogs, come bonding back, come bonding back, my Ichabogs. O oh, Ichabogs, come bonding back. Come bonding back, my own. Then tragedy, one stormy night, came bitterness, bonded of fright, and bitterness so tall and stout was different from its fellows. Its voice was rough, its ways were mean, the likes of it had not been seen before, and so they drove it out with angry blows and bellows. O oh, Ichabog, be bonded wise, be bonded wise, my Ichabogs. O oh, Ichabogs, be bonded wise, be bonded wise, my own. A thousand miles from its old home, its bonding time arrived alone in darkness, bitterness expired, and hatred came to being. A hairless Ichabog this last, a beast sworn to avenge the past. With bloodlust was the creature fired, its evil eye far-seeing. O oh, Ichabogs, be bonded kind, be bonded kind, my Ichabogs. O oh, Ichabogs, be bonded kind, be bonded kind, my own. Then hatred spawned the race of man, Twas from ourselves that man began. From bitterness and hate they swelled to armies raised to smite us. In hundreds Ichabogs were slain, our blood poured on the land like rain. Our ancestors like trees were felled, and still men came to fight us. O oh, Ichabogs, be bonded brave, be bonded brave, my Ichabogs. O oh, Ichabogs, be bonded brave, be bonded brave, my own. Men forced us from our sunlit home, away from grass to mud and stone, into the endless fog and rain, and here we stayed and dwindled, till of our race there's only one survivor of the spear and gun, whose children must begin again with hate and fury kindled. O oh, Ichabogs, now kill the men, now kill the men, my Ichabogs. O oh, Ichabogs, now kill the men, now kill the men, my own. Daisy and the Ichabog sat in silence for a while after the Ichabog had finished singing. The stars were coming out now. Daisy fixed her eyes on the moon as she said, how many people have you eaten, Ichabog? The Ichabog sighed. None so far. 
Ichabogs like mushrooms. Are you planning on eating us when your bonding time comes? She asked. So your babies are born believing Ichabogs eat people? You want to turn them into people killers, don't you? To take back your land. The Ichabog looked down at her. It didn't seem to want to answer, but at last it nodded its huge shaggy head. Behind Daisy and the Ichabog, Bert, Martha and Roderick exchanged terrified glances by the light of the dying fire. I know what it's like to lose the people you love the most, said Daisy quietly. My mother died and my father disappeared. For a long time after my father went away, I made myself believe that he was still alive, because I had to, or I think I'd have died as well. Daisy got to her feet to look up into the Igabog's sad eyes. I think people need hope nearly as much as Ichabog's do. But, she said, placing her hand over her heart, my mother and father are both still in here, and they always will be. So when you eat me, Ichabog, eat my heart last. I'd like to keep my parents alive as long as I can. She walked back into the cave and the four humans settled down on their piles of wool again beside the fire. A little later, sleepy though she was, Daisy thought she heard the Ichabog sniff. Chapter 55 Spittleworth Offends the King after the disaster of the runaway mail coach, Lord Spittleworth took steps to make sure such a thing would never happen again. A new proclamation was issued without the king's knowledge, which allowed the chief adviser to open letters to check them for signs of treason. The proclamation notices helpfully listed all the things that were now considered treason in Cornucopia. It was still treason to say that the Ichabog wasn't real and that Fred wasn't a good king. It was treason to criticise Lord Spittleworth and Lord Flapoon. Treason to say the Ichabog tax was too high and for the first time, treason to say that Cornucopia wasn't as happy and well-fed as it had always been. Now that everybody was too frightened to tell the truth in their letters, mail and even travel to the capital dwindled to almost nothing, which was exactly what Spittleworth had wanted and he started on phase two of his plan. This was to send a lot of fan mail to Fred. As these letters couldn't all have the same handwriting, 
Spittleworth had shut up a few soldiers in a room with a stack of paper and lots of quills and told them what to write. Praise the king, of course, said Spittleworth as he swept up and down in front of the men in his chief advisor's robes. Tell him he's the best ruler in the country. Praise me too. Say that you don't know what would become of Cornucopia without Lord Spittleworth. <coughs> and say you know the Ichabog would have killed many more people if not for the Ichabog Defence Brigade. And that Cornucopia's richer than ever. So King Fred began to receive letters telling him how marvellous he was and that the country had never been happier and that the war against the Ichabog was going very well. Well, it appears everything's going splendidly, beamed King Fred, waving one of these letters over lunch with the two lords. He'd been much more cheerful since the forgeries had started to arrive. The bitter winter had frozen the ground so that it was dangerous to go hunting. But Fred, who was wearing a gorgeous new costume of burnt orange silk with topaz buttons, felt particularly handsome today, which added to his cheerfulness. It was quite delightful watching the snow tumble down outside the window when he had a blazing fire and his table was piled high, as usual, with expensive foods. I had no idea so many Ichabogs had been killed, Spittleworth. In fact, come to think of it, I didn't even know there was more than one Ichabog. Er, uh, yes, sir, sire, said Spittleworth with a furious glance at Flapoon, who was stuffing himself with a particularly delicious cream cheese. Spittleworth had so much to do, he'd given Flapoon the job of checking all the forged letters before they were sent to the king. We didn't want to alarm you, but we realised some time ago that the monster had... Um, he coughed delicately... Um, reproduced. I see, said Fred. Well, it's jolly good news you're finishing them off at such a rate. We should have one stuffed, you know, and hold an exhibition for the people. Er, uh, er, uh, sire. What an excellent idea, said Spittleworth through gritted teeth. One thing I don't understand, though, said Fred, frowning over the letter again. Didn't Professor Fraudisham say that every time an Ichabog dies, two grow in its place? By killing them like this, aren't you in fact doubling their numbers? Ah, uh, no, sire, not really said Spittleworth, his cunning mind working furiously fast. We've actually found a way of stopping that happening by, um, um, 
banging them over the head first, suggested Flapoon. Banging them over the head first, repeated Spittleworth, nodding. That's it. If you can get near enough to knock them out before killing them, sire, the, um, the doubling process seems to, seems to stop. But why didn't you tell me of this amazing discovery, Spittleworth? cried Fred. This changes everything. We might soon have wiped Ichabogs from Cornucopia forever. Yes, sir, it is good news, isn't it? said Flapoon, Spittleworth, wishing he could smack the smile off Flapoon's face. However, there are still quite a few Ichabogs left. All the same, the end seems to be in sight at last, said Fred, joyfully setting the letter aside and picking up his knife and fork again. How very sad that poor Major Roach was killed by an Ichabog just before we began to turn the tables on the monsters. Very sad, sire, yes, agreed Spittleworth who, of course, had explained away Major Roach's sudden disappearance by telling the king he'd laid down his life in the marshlands, trying to prevent the Ichabog coming south. Well, this all makes sense of something I've been wondering about, said Fred. The servants are constantly singing the national anthem. Have you heard them? Jolly uplifting and all that, but it does become a bit samey. But this is why. They're celebrating our triumph over the Ichabogs, aren't they? That must be it, sire, said Spittleworth. In fact, the singing was coming from the prisoners in the dungeons, not the servants. But Fred was unaware that he had fifty or so people trapped in the dungeons beneath him. We should hold a ball in celebration, said Fred. We haven't had a ball for a very long time. It seems an age since I danced with Lady Aslanda. Nuns don't dance, said Spittleworth crossly. He stood up abruptly. Flapoon, a word. The two lords were halfway towards the door when the king commanded, Wait! Both turned. King Fred suddenly looked displeased. Neither of you asked permission to leave the king's table. The two lords exchanged glances. Then Spittleworth bowed and Flapoon copied him. I crave your majesty's pardon said Spittleworth. It's simply that if we are to act on your excellent suggestion of having a dead Ichabog stuffed, sire, we must act quickly. It might, ah, uh, rot otherwise. All the same, said Fred, fingering the golden medal he wore around his neck, which was embossed with the picture of the king fighting a dragonish monster. I remain the king, Spittleworth, your king. Of course, sire, said Spittleworth, bowing low again. I live only to serve you. Hm, said Fred. 
Well, see that you remember it and be quick about stuffing that Ichabog. I wish to display it to the people. Then we shall discuss the celebration ball.